0: Have you ever noticed how frustrating time can be? I mean, just think about it for a second. If you speak to a child, they will tell you that time is frustrating because time seems to go by so slowly. And so if you're a child and you go with your family to Ferrari World, and there are rides that you want to go on, but you're not quite tall enough, then that is very frustrating to you because you're, you're not big enough yet. So you have to wait more time until your body is large enough to go on the Formula Rosa, the world's fastest roller coaster. Or you have to wait for your birthday. So when you're nine and you're anxious to be a two-digit, a big 10-year-old, it takes forever to finally get to your birthday. And and then when you're a little bit older, you're a teenager, you can't wait to finally have freedom, to finally get a driver's license or to finish school. And it just seems like time is just crawling and going so slow. And yet, if you talk to adults, I'm sure we would have a very different perspective of time. Adults tend to think that time moves too fast. We're like, man, if we could just slow down time, it just... It just rolls and the years keep piling on so quickly. And our language really reveals this frustration. We say things like, where did the time go? Or there aren't enough hours in the day. Or I have to make the most of my time. Or we say things like, when will my time come? Time frustrates all of us, young and old. And there are moments in our lives where time itself can feel like a prison or it can feel like a curse or like an enemy. When we continue our series today in Ecclesiastes, we'll be in chapter 3, meditating on those truths from God's word. And as you turn to Ecclesiastes 3, I'll just by way of brief review, I'll remind you that so far in the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes, we've seen how the Spirit of God has inspired King Solomon, the son of David, to reveal that this world that he describes as being under the sun, that this world is corrupted and broken, and that life can truly be meaningless. And Ecclesiastes points to Messiah, points straight to Jesus, that we must look beyond the sun, had the heavens opened by faith, and see Jesus, see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, and seeing him beyond the sun, looking not to the things of this world, but looking to Jesus, then we find hope. Then we find freedom, and we find a life just Filled with purpose. So the Ecclesiastes has been teaching the truth that by looking for meaning or by trying to distract yourself from the harsh realities of this life, that that just will not work. And so things like pleasure, money, your career, wisdom, relationships, more possessions, it will not, cannot satisfy. It can not satisfy our deepest longings. And the reason is that you were made for more. You were made for God. And so the purpose of Ecclesiastes is quite simple. Now, it's a hard book to understand. I give you that. But the meaning, the overall meaning is simply to expose the foolishness of life lived without God. It is foolish to attempt to live life without God. And Ecclesiastes just so clearly, vividly, without apologizing, with no sugarcoating, shows it. So life apart from God is empty. But with Jesus, with him, through him alone, life is meaningful. And so so through the presence of of Jesus, life can be brimming and overflowing with meaning and purpose. And so Ecclesiastes 3, continuing in this, gives us a glimpse. It shows how even time is meaningless without Jesus. Let's read Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8, this beautiful poem. For everything there is a season... And a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh. for peace. The key word in this poem is pretty evident. It's the word time. Even in the English, again, this is originally written in Hebrew, and you can see the poetry more clearly in the original language, but even with the translation into English, or any language for that matter, you can still see that this is a just beautiful poem that uses the word time 28 times. There's 14 pairs. And so there's a lot of rhythm to this poem. It goes back and forth like inhaling, exhaling. There's this beautiful rhythm to this poem that's describing two realities of life under the sun that's marked by our time here on earth. And the two realities are disappointment and delight. Both are a part of life. There are things that we experience that are A great delight, as this poem describes, and realities are very disappointing. And it's raw, and it describes all of life and what it's like under the sun. And so as we look at this poem and the few verses that follow it in the first 15 verses of Ecclesiastes 3 this morning, we're going to look at three key questions about time. And what God reveals about how we should approach our time and how to think about our life on this earth with all of its delights and also disappointment. So key question number one, why does time frustrate us? That's the first question we need to answer from this text. God's revealing something. Why is it that time frustrates us? So this poem here Begins by saying, There is a time to be born and a time to die. So these are bookends. It's bookending life. And so everything that is in between being born and dying, all that happens in your life, is captured vividly in this poem. So he says, Life has planting and harvesting, breaking down and building up, weeping and laughing, mourning. And dancing, casting away and gathering, embracing and rejecting, seeking and losing, speaking and being silent, loving and hating, war and peace. So it has these two columns. It's juxtaposing them. And how there's a time to plant, like in the spring, for example. There's a time for harvest in the autumn, this time of year, around October. There's a time to break down, so to destroy idols, for example. A time to build up, like with Nehemiah, building up the temple and the wall. There's a time to mourn, such as when a loved one dies. And there's a time to dance, when someone is born and you celebrate. There's a time to weep, someone that you care about is struggling and you're right there weeping when they weep. And then there's times to laugh. When it's a joyous occasion. And so life is filled with these things. And so this poem is a beautiful description of all that life is and what it's like here in this world. Now this is an important distinction here. What you see in Ecclesiastes 3 is a description. It is not a prescription. So it is describing just what life is like. It is not commanding anything. There's no imperatives, there's, there's no instructions or commands in this poem. So it's not telling us to go do something. It's just simply describing the reality that things like hate and death exist. It's not telling us go hate, or it's not telling us, go kill. It's not, it's, not, it's not a command, it's just saying, in this broken world, hatred exists, and death exists. Now the Bible does, this is a different conversation for a different day, but the Bible does regulate things like just wars and capital punishments so that is described in other parts of the Bible. But here, we have the points of this poem It's just showing us life is filled with delights and disappointments. And so our time here on this earth can be filled with so much happiness and joy. So many blessings God gives to us. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves like this book calls us to be, life on this earth can also be very painful. And very disappointing. And so why does time frustrate us? Let me give you the answer. Frustration over time is a result of a broken world. It's just a result of the fall. Everything has been tainted by sin, including time itself. Everything that exists is affected by the fall. We live in a broken world, and so therefore time is going to frustrate us. See, God did not originally create us to be trapped in time. He didn't. He didn't make us for that. We were made to live in the presence of God with joy in a perfect world forever with no time limitations. Time is a thief. Time robs us of joy. Isn't it frustrating when you run out of time, when you're working on a project that's significant, that's important, and then your time just runs out? Isn't it frustrating when you're spending an evening with your favorite person, And you're just having such a wonderful time. But then the evening runs out. The time is up. Isn't it frustrating when you have to say goodbye to someone? And living in Abu Dhabi, I taste this frustration all too often. The joy of saying hello to new people. And enjoying new relationships and then the pain and the frustration of having to say goodbye to people that have meant so much to you. In this transient place, it can eat you alive at times with people coming and going and your time running out with people that you really care about. Or when you have to say the ultimate goodbye to someone who is on their deathbed that you've loved. And our time of people runs out. We were not made to live in this existence with time restrictions and limitations. And we'll talk about this later in the series towards the end. Even aging and getting old itself, we'll look at that again later. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes. How even aging can seem meaningless and even getting old is a part of the curse. Because in heaven you won't get old. You, You won't. We'll live for eternity. And so time, as we experience it on this earth, is corrupted. We were made to live with shalom. We were made to live with peace. That's the way the poem ends. In verse 8, he says, a time for peace. It's important. That's what our hearts yearn for. That's what our hearts crave Peace with God. Being in holiness and in perfection and integrity, being one with each other, one with God and all things at peace with God's sovereignty. Our, Our hearts yearn for shalom, for peace. Now, I know some of you think. That what you're craving is more immoral sex or more pornography or more junk food or more money or more possessions or another relationship or more approval. You think you want that. and you, You think that you crave for that. But deep down inside, you don't. Deep down inside, what you crave for is shalom. That's what you were made for. You were made for peace with God. And when we turn to the things of this world, that's simply just a means to cope with the emptiness or or the pain that's inside. It's like emotional morphine that we just want to just numb the pain away. But what your heart is really deep down inside, what it is made for, and what you yearn for, is peace, specifically with God. And trying to find that in the things under the sun will just leave us more empty, more anxious, and enslaved to the idolatry, and with no peace and far from God. And so your soul yearns for this shalom. Our frustration over time itself points to this truth that we are in a fallen world. We're reminded of it. Second key question is, what is the purpose of time? So now that we understand that why are we frustrated with time, it's because it's a fallen world. It's tainted. So, okay, we understand that. We learn to accept that. But what is the purpose of time? Time. Verses 9 through 11 describe that. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. This is basically Solomon's commentary on his poem. So he describes in the poem what life is like and frustrations over time. And then he's giving commentary on, on what is the purpose of time. He says, We toil away, we work hard, he says that we're busy. So we're busy with school, we're busy with work, we're busy raising your children, we're busy with our relationships, busy with our jobs, launching careers, we're busy trying to get promotions, we're busy with our finances, we're, we're busy serving God, we're, we're just toiling, we're busy, we're living life using up the time that we have under the sun, living one day at a time, and yeah... What we have to realize is God is in complete control of your time. Verse 11 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. God is not up there in heaven, apathetic, indifferent, and uncaring. Just watching you as your time just expires. God is sovereign over all things. He is in control, complete control of all of human history that includes your life and all the events of your life. Verse 11, he has put eternity into man's heart. So as image bearers of an eternal God, we are also eternal beings. We will live forever and so deep inside we know this. We know because it's been hard He's put it into our hearts. We know there's eternity. We know there's more than what we see around us. We can't fully comprehend that, but we know it. And our atheists and our agnostic friends who claim that there is no God, they lie to themselves simply because they want to feel better By thinking that they're in control. But a believer in Jesus recognizes that we are not in complete control. That there is a God and we are not him. There are no atheists. We know, deep inside, we know that God exists. It's hardwired into our coding, our DNA. He's put eternity in our hearts. And we yearn for it. Verse 11 says, yet so that he cannot, we humans, cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And so we can't fully understand God's sovereign plan Beginning to the end, creation had a beginning, it's going to have an end. All of it points to God's glory and redeeming a people through his son. So he has a purpose. History is moving to its appointed end that will have his people, like we sang about so powerfully, praising him forever. That's how it's going to end. That's where history is going. And until that is completed, God is controlling it. He is moving it. It says he has made everything beautiful in its time. God has a plan, a grand plan, and it's beautiful. He's at work in your life creating something beautiful. In the middle of the ugliness sometimes that our life may be or that we think it is, God is at work and is creating something beautiful beautiful, that displays his beauty, his glory through your life. See, Jesus entered into this world, into time and space. He entered in to reveal this plan. He came in to redeem, to liberate us from slavery to sin so we can belong to him and we can worship him, to satisfy our Soul, so that we can know him. And in knowing him, then reflect his glory to creation and have more people know him and, and see that they were made to know and enjoy God forever. Jesus came to make that possible. And so what is the purpose of time? Here's the answer. That we will see and then embrace the beauty of of God's complete control over everything. Time itself is crying out that God is in control. And so through time, we're able to see and then embrace, truly see and embrace the beauty of God's complete control over everything. And the gospel shows the sovereignty of God, the perfect life of Jesus, the substitute death on the cross where he took our shame and our guilt and his powerful resurrection where he defeated sin, death, and Satan so that we can now experience his peace, shalom, and we can have his presence. And we can have it right now. He has invaded human history, and he is now ruling in the hearts of his people. And the gospel, the work of Jesus to save us Proves his sovereignty over everything. And just think about it. You have in Galatians 4, we read early worship gathering, verse 4, it says, Time had waited long enough. And so God sent forth the Messiah, His Son. Look at Mark 1:15. It says, Time was fulfilled. And so Jesus begins preaching and saying, Repent and believe. John 7, verse 30, the enemies wanted to arrest Jesus, but he says that his time had not yet come. Matthew 26, verse 18, it was the Passover that had arrived, and Jesus announced, now my time is at hand. Acts 1:9. After the resurrection, the time had come. So Jesus then ascends back to the Father, sends his spirit to indwell us so that we can then in our time continue to make disciples like Jesus did. So he's still at work in time and space, but he's doing it through you and me. So you have King Solomon in Ecclesiastes who is revealing how time frustrates us. That's King Solomon. That's what he's saying. Time frustrates us. And he's right. But then you have King Jesus, the true son of David, who reveals how he is in complete control over time. So yes, it's frustrating, but Jesus has overcome And he redeems our time. And because of Jesus, time is not meaningless. It has purpose. Your life has value. And how you use your time has eternal implications. And God is displaying his glory by being sovereign over, being controlled over time. So in the middle of our disappointment, Jesus gives us You see, Jesus entrusted himself to the Father's sovereignty and to his Father's perfect timing. And we must do the same. Are you today in a season of waiting? Are you waiting for something that you really want? Are you waiting for a job? Are you waiting for a promotion? Are you waiting for a spouse? Are you waiting for healing in your life? Are you waiting for reconciliation in your life? Are you waiting for a child? Are you waiting for an answer? For clarity? Are you waiting for an opportunity? What are you waiting for? Maybe you're disappointed today because this season of waiting is becoming much longer than you ever thought it would be. And you feel like you're barely even holding on. Time frustrates all of us. It is a reality of living in this fallen world. The point of Ecclesiastes is that our frustrations are meant to drive us to Jesus. Our frustrations, the disappointment, even with time with our lives, with whatever it is in your life that is just not working out the way you thought or hoped or planned, and it's just looking so different, and you're so frustrated, don't try to cope or to numb it with the things of this world. It won't change anything. It'll just enslave you. Instead, in that pain, let it drive you to Messiah. Let it drive you to your God who loves you and who has a purpose for you and wants to fill you. And what awaits those of us who are trusting Jesus is eternity outside of time. Where there's going to be no more tears, no more pain. And we'll praise him forever. So we hold on. We encourage each other with the word. We do this together. We are desperate for Jesus. We should wait on his perfect timing. Time itself is in God's hands. You know, time is, I said it's a thief, and it is, but time is also a teacher. Time teaches us. Time reminds us that we can't find joy in the things of this world. We need to know Jesus and continually look to him, be filled by his presence, and let him define who we are. It's all about Jesus, and only he can satisfy. So are you honestly resting in God's perfect timing? Key question three, as we move towards finishing up this text. Key question three. What is the result of resting in God's perfect timing? So we're, we're trying to get our minds around, yes, time frustrates us. It's a broken world. But yes, God is still in control and has a good plan. So we rest in his timing. So the last question is, okay, so what is the result of resting in God's perfect timing? What happens to us? The last few verses, 12 through 15, Describe that. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of this toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which already has been, that which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. So let me answer this question. There's, there's three as we answer this question. So what is the result? What happens when we're resting in God's perfect timing? Number one, the result in our lives is joy. We receive joy. Verse 12, it says there is nothing better for them than to be joyful. And so it says that there's this, this essence of joy having our hearts filled with joy when we are resting in God's complete control. So remember, the poem in Ecclesiastes 3 describes that time brings delight and disappointment. And so we experience all of it. On this side of heaven, on this broken earth under the sun, and we, we worship God in the middle of both our delights and disappointments. We see the glory of Jesus. And our souls are satisfied with him as we worship. And we praise him for whatever his hand gives to us. Because even when it's hard, we know that it's for our good and it is for his glory. And our lives are going to have different seasons like you see in Ecclesiastes 3. There's different seasons of life. And we have to learn to be humble and to accept whatever new season God brings us into. And we have to be able to let go of a season that is closing. When we are looking forward to the next season and don't enjoy this one, you'll be miserable. But if God is moving into a new season and you don't want to go and you're holding on to the old one... You're going to be miserable as well and make everyone else around you miserable. And so you have to accept that life is moving and there's new seasons. You let go of the old ones and you embrace the new one. And you don't look forward. You just enjoy God in the season that you're in. The key here is prayer and the word. The key here is worshiping Jesus every day, and he gives us joy. Number two here. So what is the result of resting in his perfect timing? Holiness. It results in holiness. You see this also awesome in verse 12. He says, be joyful and do good. And so he says that we are to do good. So this is a command here. Resting in God's perfect timing will lead us toward doing what is good. Pleasing to doing what is in the best interest of other people. And so, as a people of God, we have been set apart for the glory of God. So, you belong to God. And being set apart, that's what holy means. And so, we're called to do good, to live lives of obedience. So, do you honestly want to be happy? Treasure Jesus. Trust him. Surrender to him. And allow his spirit as you submit to him. His spirit will then grow you in your obedience, in your holiness. Because holiness leads to happiness. We really do live in a world that's broken. Ecclesiastes 3 makes that so clear. He gives us a glimpse of what life is like when God is absent. Man, it's hellish. I mean, this poem, he says, life without God, he says, there's tearing down, weeping, mourning, hatred, war, death. This is in the Bible. It's being honest about what life is like without God. And at times it's painful. In our despair, we can try to turn to other things, But when we're turning to Jesus and honestly looking to him, then we're going to do good, as it's described here in the text. Jesus has overcome death. He's overcome sin and this curse that the world is under. So he offers us hope for our holiness. And so resting this perfect timing will result in greater obedience. Because what happens is, We're able to then have the hope and the encouragement to face our sin, to not deny it, see it for the hideousness that it really is. Hate it because we want Jesus more. And then it's the nearness of God. His presence is what makes us more holy. And so number three, resting God's perfect timing results in trust. So it results in joy, holiness, and trust. Verses 14 through 15, read it a second ago. It describes how God is completely just. He sees everything that's been done, everything that will be done. And he will ultimately balance all of the scales of justice. All of it. He'll track it down. He seeks it. And that's what you're seeing here in verse 15. And so there's going to be justice. He's going to balance it completely. And so, because of that, because we can trust him, he says, fear God. He's doing this, he's showing his sovereignty so that we can fear God. That's what it says. This fear in God is like a trembling trust where we're in awe of him. So, it's not a being afraid that he's going to do harm to you, it's having reverence and respect and being in awe that's appropriate. For God who is all good, all powerful, and all wise. But knowing that he is all powerful, all good, and all wise means that we can trust him, can fear him. And these three right here, joy, holiness, and trust, this is what it looks like to live a life of worship before God. And that's what fearing God refers to, worshiping him. And the cross proves that we can trust him. So in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is pointing to the Messiah. Solomon describes sorrow in this life. He describes it vividly. Jesus was the man of sorrows, if you read Isaiah 53. He cried out in agony from the cross as all the sin and guilt of the world was poured onto his holy body. Jesus is the one who today is still speaking loud and clear, giving joy to his people. And he's crying out that God and forgiveness did not die, but are alive today just as he is. And so, as we, as we close, we'll close with the main idea. We should open, but today we'll close with the main idea. This is, the, if you've heard nothing, hear this as we close. Our frustration over time itself is meant to drive us to Jesus. This is a point. Our frustration over time itself is designed to drive us to the nearness of God. Only possible through his son as we're indwelt by his spirit with his word leading us. So you entrust your soul to Jesus who stands outside of time, and he offers us eternal joy. Are you resting your soul in God's perfect timing? What are you waiting for? Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you for the joy of knowing you. We thank you for the gift of salvation itself. And that even though in this world we do have frustrations over time and life itself, we know that your son has overcome. We know that we have eternal hope and purpose and joy and meaning. And so we praise you and ask that you would make us into a church that is so focused on you that it just results in making more disciples for your glory. We praise you, for you are worthy. We pray in the name of our King Jesus.